بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما رسد الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد This is session number 76 in our series Islam's Greatest Personalities and part 25 of the Seerah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And today's discussion will be regarding the persecution of Muslims by the Quraysh. In the previous session, we spoke about how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was persecuted by the Quraysh, how they attacked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not just verbally but physically as well. And we went through many incidents where the Prophet ﷺ went through many, many difficulties uh, in dealing with the Quraysh and how they uh, attacked him on numerous occasions in many ways, shapes and forms. Now we're going to speak about how they dealt with the Sahaba, the Muslims. So it wasn't just the Prophet ﷺ uh, who had to face the assault from the Quraysh, even the Sahaba or anybody that was accepting Islam, it wasn't easy. I mean, for us to relate to this, it's, it's, we've not had to go through anything like this whatsoever. But this was a price of being a Muslim. If you're a Muslim, then you had to face persecution. So the Sahaba, they were persecuted by the Quraysh in all spheres of life. If the, for example, if the converts, I will refer to them as converts, there's a whole discussion of should we use the word convert or revert okay um, because why revert people say is because you're already born supposedly uh, in Islam um, so you're reverting back to it but the actual correct word is convert convert is the correct word when you're born you're born on fitrah okay that's very different to Islam fitrah is is your natural disposition then the parents will either uh, bring that child into an Islamic environment or a Christian environment or a Jewish environment. So, you, so anybody changing will be a convert. That's the correct word to use. Anyway, I, I know some of you don't agree, but nevertheless. Um, so we're going to use the word convert. So these are converts, early Muslims, Sahaba radiallahu anhum. If the convert was from a respectable position, someone who had a high social standing in community, somebody who was a notable individual, right? And they decided to accept Islam. The way the Quraysh would taunt them is by saying that you've left the religion of your forefathers, whereas they were better than you. You think you're a big, big man. This is how they would talk down to them. You're, you're a big man. Okay, fine. But your forefathers were bigger than you. They followed that religion. Why have you uh, decided to leave their religion? If you don't give up Islam, and if you don't come back to the religion of our forefathers, we will consider you, in our eyes, you will be Mr. Foolish. We'll just think that you are Bewakuf, 
you are foolish, you've got no sense, will consider you as someone who's just lost their mind, and we will reject you in public. And publicly we will disgrace you, and we will basically go round and tell everyone that this person, ignore him, is not someone you should listen to. And this is what they would do. Now imagine if somebody, is just a normal person, they think, who cares, you can go and say what you want. Because someone who had a high social standing, a popular individual, who people respected, this is something that really plays on your mind. So they knew how to approach each individual. If the person, if the convert was a merchant, somebody who dealt with trade, then Abu Jahl would go round and threaten them saying, Wallah, we will block all of your channels of trade. If you don't leave Islam, every single possibility and opportunity you have of trade, we've got our fingers everywhere. So we'll make sure you don't get access to any stock. We'll make sure you don't get any customers. We'll make sure when you go to buy, it'll be very expensive for you and you'll be out of business. You, we, we, will, we will make sure we'll cut you off from all sides. So this is how, and, and if nothing works, we'll get your stock looted. So you'll go empty handed, nothing. Your caravan will be going. We know where the caravans go. We know all the trade routes. We'll get, get your stuff looted and you'll have nothing less. If you come back to our religion, that's fine. But if you stay on Islam, this is how we will deal with you. And if the convert was somebody who was weak, simple person, then they would threaten them and they start beating them straight away because they've got, they, they, didn't, they couldn't threaten them with anything else. So they just physically start beating them, abusing them um, and saying to them, look, if you want us to stop the beatings, leave Islam. Now at times, Muslims would be beaten senseless. This wasn't just a beating of just like punching somebody or kicking somebody. No, this was serious beating. Like they would totally just go crazy and wild. They had no humanity in them. And they would beat the Muslims senseless. So much so, so much so that on many occasions it happened, the Quraysh and the Mushrikeen of Makkah were able to compel the Muslims to say what they wanted them to say. To say what they wanted them to say. So some Sahaba, I'll give you some examples of what they used to do. Some Sahaba, they would wrap them in, uh, in they would roll them into camel um, hide, is that what we call it? Camel skin? Is that what it's called? You guys are like half nodding your head, thinking like, we don't want to say the wrong thing. I'm asking you. Hide is hide, isn't it? Jazakallah, brother. Yeah, so camel hide, so camel skin, okay. Um, so what they would do is they have this whole camel skin, they would wrap them into it. So they'd wrap them into it really tight and then they would tie it up and they would, they would, they would leave them now in the extreme heat of the desert. Makkah is a desert. So they would go and leave them out in the extreme heat. Now, first of all, being tied in something like this, okay, wrapped in there, it's very, very hot in there anyway and it starts to burn. You're out in the, in the open. At that time, normally in Arabia, people don't go out, they sleep. That's when they have the siesta, they have the qailula. Why? It's just too hot to do anything outside. So scorching heat, the Sahabi is tied in here and just left abandoned there. And that's it. If you, it's your choice, leave Islam or stay in there, carry on burning. And they would do this regularly. Some of them would be made to wear steel body armor, and thrown onto the hot rocks of Makkah. Again, in the heat, imagine the rocks are burning, right? 
what you're wearing, that's like burning as well. All the heat is, 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 is in there. And then this person is just struggling in there. Uh, it's not just about being like really hot somewhere. We get a bit hot and we start complaining. No, this is, you're literally burning in there. And you're, you're finding it hard to breathe. Um, some of them, what they would do is, they would get animal skin that they would normally use as a pot. Uh, or they would fill water in there. So they would get this animal skin and this vessel and they would fill it with water, right? And then they would get the head of these Muslims and put it in there, like waterboarding nowadays, okay? They would put the head in there and they would leave them in there until they could, they just, they're just gagging uh, to breathe. Um, and they, they've got no access to any air, any oxygen. And they'd pick them out again. Are you going to leave Islam? No, right, you go in there again. And this would carry on happening and they'd keep putting their head into there and until it'd be struggle. And how long can you do this for? As a human being, right, you, it begins to play on your mind. You, 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 you're lacking air now. It's a matter of life and death. You can see the end of life, right? It doesn't take long. When someone's deprived of oxygen, right, there's no oxygen getting to your head. What's going to happen, right? So by that time, these people have already become so weak because they've been tortured in other ways. Mentally, they're being tortured. Psychologically, they're being tortured. And then they would say like, what, what do you want from us? What do you want from us? And they said, well, we just want you to say that Lat and Uzza, besides Allah, Lat and Uzza are the best. We believe in Lat and Uzza. So some of them, they would ask them, do you believe in Lat and Uzza? They would just say, yes, we do. That's what they, they'd become. So the Quraysh would beat them so much that they'd end up saying these words. Not in their heart. Their hearts were still brimming with Iman. But with their tongue, they would end up uttering. What I'm trying to put across to you is just imagine how severe the beatings would be that Sahaba, whose Iman was generally, and it was at that time as well, we say it was equivalent to mountains. But even they were compelled to say such words, which apparently were words of kufr. There was no kufr in their heart at the time. We have the exception of the likes of Sayyidina Bilal anhu, where no matter how much suffering he endured, no matter how much he endured, he continued saying, Ahad, he didn't give in, he didn't give in. Sa'id bin Jubair, he asked Abdullah ibn Abbas anhu, that we hear about Sahaba being tortured. He asked Ibn Abbas, was the torture that severe? that Sahaba would actually end up uttering words of kufr? Was it really that bad? Like he's saying, oh, we've heard these stories. I want to know from you firsthand. Was this beating and the persecution that just to escape the punishment, was it seriously that bad? Ibn Abbas who said, yes, it was. They were tortured so severely that sometimes they were starved. They were deprived of water. They were beaten senseless. They were so badly that they weren't even able to sit. They'd be beaten so much. Then after you get beaten up, you want at least to sit down and relax. They couldn't even lie down. They couldn't even sit down. Because all over you've been beaten, so bruised, so wounded. And the Muslims at that time, some of them, they didn't have a choice but to utter the words that they wanted them to say. This is great. Fine. What do you want us to do? We want you to say that Lat and Uzza are the best. Okay, Lat and Uzza are the best. Right, fine. Happy? You happy? Right, and then they would let them go. So the Quraysh would come to them and they would say that besides Allah, Allah and Uzza also your gods. And this is what they would say to them. 
so the people that would be oppressed, they'll be beaten, and the Muslims would end up just uttering yes. And whilst beating them, sometimes, uh, in the books of Sirah it's mentioned, sometimes whilst they're being, they're being beaten, do you believe in Latin Uzza? They go yes. And then be like an insect, a spider going by. Is this spider your God? And they would want them to say, if they say no, they'd carry on beating them. Is the spider your God? And then they would just say, yes, it is. And the poor Muslims would just end up having to say yes, whilst their hearts were still brimming with Iman and Tawheed and belief in Allah. And regarding these incidents, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually revealed verses of the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, man kafara billah min ba'di imanihi illa man ukriha wa qalbuhu mutma'innum bil iman walakin man sharaha Allah, man sharaha bil kufri sadran fa'alayhim ghadabun min Allah walahum adabun azim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, whoever disbelieves in Allah after accepting iman. So these sahaba, they were Muslims. Anybody that does kufr after accepting iman, okay, for them will be a dreadful punishment. However, is there an exception? Yes, there is. Except that person that is forced. If somebody comes to you at gunpoint and tells you, okay, to say that Jesus is the son of God, for example, or to believe in another God besides Allah, or to bow to an idol, okay, normally you wouldn't, but to save your life, the Quran is saying if someone forces you, but in your heart, your heart is content in believing that there is no God besides Allah. Allah is alone. He has no partners. So that is fine. The Quran says that is okay. So this persecution is also part of Allah's wisdom. Many a times as Muslims, we think to ourselves that why is this happening? Why are innocent children being killed? Why are women being deserted like this? Why are men being tortured like this? Aren't they Muslims? Aren't they people of Iman? Aren't they poor? They don't have anything. And on top of that, day after day, okay, there is attack and missiles and bombings. And this is what we're seeing now. And even at that time, you saw the Sahaba, how much difficulty, like they were the best of people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do whatever He wants. Yet they're going through so much persecution. This is also part of Allah's wisdom. And a lot of times the reason why people have doubts or become critical or raise objections against Islam. So those who are not Muslim, that's there that we don't expect them to understand. But even Muslims, sometimes the reason why we sometimes have these doubts is because we still haven't understood Allah. We don't know Allah. We haven't recognized Allah. How does Allah work? And the best way to recognize him is through his sifat and his names. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has many beautiful names and they are there so that we recognize him. We understand and the Quran is filled with these examples to understand what is the system of Allah? What is the sunnah? Sunnah Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls it the fitrat of Allah. Allah has a system that he works according to. And one of the things is that this world and the happenings of this world do not determine victory and defeat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already allotted the day of judgment to be the day when we will see complete justice. Complete justice we will not see in this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-adl. 
He's the most just. You can't find anyone more kind, more merciful, more compassionate, more just, more wise than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for us to question Allah's doing in the world is showing we don't understand Allah. When we understand this, Allah is the most kind. Like we're, to, we're, we're trying to show compassion, aren't we? To what's happening. We feel we're sympathetic. Like why is this happening? Why are, are we more compassionate than Allah? Does, do, do we love these people more than Allah does? Of course not. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is their creator. He is their nourisher. He is the one who created them from nothing. And he knows he is the most wise. Allah loves them more than their own mother loves them. Don't you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want them to go through this as well? He doesn't want to see them in pain and difficulty. But there is something greater happening here. It's the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That this is part of Allah's wisdom. For example, in one verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah says, do the people think that they're going to say that we believe in Allah, yet they still haven't been tested? This is part of Allah's system. That the closer somebody is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, somebody asked, O Prophet of Allah, who will be, who will face the most challenges and difficulties in this life? You know, whenever we go, may Allah keep us with afiyah, grant us ease, make everything super smooth for us and remove any type of difficulty, any type of hardship from our lives. May Allah make everything easy for everyone in all areas. However, the reality of this world is we don't like difficulties. We don't like struggle. But this life is a struggle. Who will have the greatest struggle in this life? Who, when we're going through struggles, okay, we just think, oh no, this is just happening to me. Okay, everyone else is fine. Okay, everything else is fine. It's just me. Whereas the Prophet sallallahu was asked this question, From all of the people who is going to get tested the most, who will go through the greatest struggle? And the Prophet sallallahu said, Al-Anbiya, the Prophets. And from amongst the Prophets, he said, I went through the greatest struggles in this world. My tests were the greatest. I think sometimes we lose sight of this. And then he said, Thumma al al Then whoever is the greatest in the sight of Allah, they will have the greatest test. And he'll go like that. So the Sahaba are the best people, Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah. We are from Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah. We love the Sahaba. The Sahaba are great. The Sahaba are dear to us. Sahaba, we love. The, loving the Sahaba is a sign of Iman. Despising the Sahaba is a sign of hypocrisy and kufr. Those who honor the Sahaba, honor the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Those who revile the Sahaba, they revile the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Sahaba were the great, you know, Quran, when the Quran speaks, Quran says, Ula'ika humul muflihun. Who is this? Sahaba. Okay, Ula'ika humul muttaqun. Who is it? Sahaba. La khawfun alayhim wa lahum yahzanun. Radiyallahu anhum wa radu anhum. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they are the successful ones, they are the victorious ones, they are the ones pleased with Allah. All of these words in the Quran, Allah is praising the Sahaba. These were the Sahaba. Now, regarding them, they are the greatest of the people. So, thus Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through His wisdom, made them go through some of the greatest trials as well. And from amongst the Sahaba, again, without any doubt, 
without any doubt, anybody who doubts this, there's a problem with the person's faith. Without any doubt, without any difference of opinion, without any going here or there, we believe as Muslims that the greatest from amongst the Sahaba is none other than Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. There is, there is no second opinion here. We can't go two ways about this. On planet earth, after the prophets, the best man to walk the earth is Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu also faced a lot of persecution for the sake of his, this deen. When he accepted Islam, so he was, we know he was from amongst the first to accept Islam. Now, Talha radiallahu anhu, he had gone to a place called Busra where he met a monk. And we've already spoke about this earlier where the monk told him some things about a prophet coming and he's going to be in Mecca. And when he came back, he went to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and said like, what's all this I'm hearing? This monk told me that Muhammad, you know, he's a prophet and everything. And he goes, yeah, don't you know? I've already accepted. So the Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu takes Talha to the house of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or wherever he was and he accepted Islam. So both of them, Abu Bakr is already a Muslim, but now Talha radiallahu anhu is a Muslim as well. Now, Naufal bin Khuwailid, Naufal bin Khuwailid, who was known as the Lion of Quraysh. This is a big man, Lion of Quraysh. He found out that Abu Bakr and Talha accepted Islam. So he tied both of them with a rope. He tied both of them with a rope and they were tied up for a long time. So much so that people started calling them Qarinayn, the two companions, because they were tied up in a rope for so long. So this is the look at early days. Abu Bakr being the greatest man, him and Talha were tied up with a rope. Okay, have we ever been tied up for being Muslims? No, we've not had to go through anything. This is the greatest man walking on this earth just to be a Muslim. Just to be a Muslim. They've not even started practicing yet openly. They just found out that he accepted and he, in his heart he'd accepted and they were tied up. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when he found out about this, the Prophet ﷺ became very distressed uh, because of his friendship with Sayyidina Abu Bakr anhum, and he prayed against him and he said, Allahumma kfina sharra ibn al-Adawiyyah. Oh Allah, save us from the evil of Ibn al-Adawiyyah. We're talking about Nawfal bin Khuwailid al-Adawi. Al-Adawi, he was al-Adawi. And Nawfal bin Asad, he was killed in the Battle of Badr later on. And that happened many, many years later. So when the number of Muslims reached 38, okay, so we're, we're moving on now. When the number of Muslims have now reached 38, Abu Bakr anhu asked the Prophet wasallam a question. Now, Sahaba, they're quiet about their Islam. I know we've already spoken about the open preaching, but we're, we're talking about specifically about the persecution of the Sahaba. So let's go back a little bit. So when they reached 38 people, um, Abu Bakr who said, O Prophet of Allah, look, there's 38 of us now. We should start preaching Islam openly. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, uh, Ya Abu Bakr, inna qaleel. Abu Bakr was still few in number. 38, it might sound a lot, but it's not a lot yet. In comparison to the people of Mecca, we're still very few. And he persisted. He kept saying, Oh Prophet of Allah, come on, let's, let's do it openly now. Let's do it openly now. Let's just announce Islam. Let's call everyone to Islam openly. 
during this time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also commanded the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to start the open preaching. So he was already requesting it and Allah's command came and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes into the haram. Right? Everybody's got tribes and they're protected with their families. Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala goes into the haram and he delivers the first khutbah. And in this he declares that Allah is one. He declares that the Prophet sallallahu is the messenger of Allah. And the Quraysh became so enraged and they began, began attacking the Muslims. Utbah bin Rabi'a, he got up, he took off his shoe and he came to Abu Bakr and he started smacking him on his head. He started beating his head for saying La ilaha illallah. And he started particularly aiming towards his face. So he's, he's, he's lashing out to him. He's whacking him on his face again and again, again and again. Then he jumped on him from behind and he continued to beat him. And he, he was aiming for his face. And he beat him so severely that he disfigured him. If you were to look at Abu Bakr on that day, you would not recognize him. So he broke his nose, he's bleeding from his whole face, and he just looks like a different person. Imagine how many blows he had to his face and how severely he was beaten by Utbah bin Rabi'ah and other people that it was hard to recognize him. Now the Banu Daim, they quickly, when they found they rushed. They moved this man away and they saved Abu Bakr from the Mushrikeen. And by that time, he was already very severely wounded and he was unconscious. They wrapped him in a cloth and they carried him home. What did they think? They thought he's going to die. He's either dead or he's going to die. This is, he was beaten so severely, Sayyiduna Abu Bakr that they wrapped him in a cloth, they carried him and they thought that he's going to die. They were convinced that he's going to succumb to his injuries and wounds and he's going to give up on life and he will pass away. So they went back into the haram and they made an announcement. If Abu Bakr dies, we are going to kill Utbah bin Rabi'ah in revenge. They went and made this announcement. If Abu Bakr dies, and he's not dead yet, but he's on the verge of death. If he dies, we're going to kill Utbah bin Rabi'ah, they took it very seriously. They came back with the father of Abu Bakr. Anybody know the name of the father of Abu Bakr? Anhu. Yes. Bakr? No, it's not Bakr. Abu Bakr wasn't called Abu Bakr because he was the father of Bakr, by the way. This was the title. Um, yeah. But we're talking about his father, not his son. Anyone? When I say it, you're going to say, oh yeah, we knew that one. Abu Qahafa. Yeah, you've heard that before? Abu Qahafa. And he was blind as well. Abu Qahafa. So Abu Qahafa is the father of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. They came with him, the Banu Taim, the tribe. People comes, came with Abu Qahafa. To Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, when they came back, they tried to revive him. You know, they're throwing water on his face. Come on, wake up, wake up, wake up. Uh, come back, come back. Like, don't, don't leave us. They tried. No, 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 he wasn't working. No luck at all. Right late in the evening, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he gains consciousness. He opens his eyes. Yes. 
The Prophet ﷺ was in his house. He was, he was there, he's in Mecca, but he's, he's in his own house. So he gains consciousness and the people get excited thinking, oh, great. And the first thing he says, he says, how is Muhammad ﷺ? When Banu Taym heard this, they got really angry. For we're here trying to look after you, trying to revive you, trying to protect you. Because of that man, you got beaten up. And the first thing you said is, how is he? They became so angry, they go, we're leaving. <laughs> we don't care now, whatever happens to you. And they left the house. And as they left the house, they mentioned to his mother that uh, Umm Khair, they said, look, your son, feed him something. He hasn't eaten. Look at him. Look at his steak. Feed him something. Give him something to drink. Otherwise, he's going to lose his life. And they, they left from there. The mother, Umm Khair, she comes uh, to Abu Bakr anhu, and tries to feed him. And he says, no. How is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? She says, I don't know. I, I don't know anything about him. I don't know where he is. He says, until I don't hear from him, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm not going to drink. She tried many times. But Abu Bakr radiallahu said, no. Each time he would gain consciousness, the first thing he would say, how is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Is he okay? Is he safe? Has he been harmed? Has anybody attacked him as well? Because before this all happened, they were together. And they attacked him because he made the announcement. Now he doesn't know how the Prophet ﷺ is. So then she says, look, I don't know where he is. I don't know how he is. How? So Abu Bakr who said, okay, there's this woman called Ummu Jamil bin Khattab. Go to her. Because remember at the moment, it's, it's still not everybody has all the know about of who's where, where is the Prophet ﷺ, so where are Muslims gathering. So he says, go to this woman called Ummu Jamil bin Khattab. She will take you to the Prophet ﷺ, to the mother of Abu Bakr anhu. She just wants him to eat something. So in doing so, she comes to this lady and he asks, look, how is the Prophet ﷺ? She says, well, why don't I just, I'll take you there myself. You can, you can see for yourself. And then she goes and she finds out. And then eventually Abu Bakr anhu hears that the Prophet ﷺ is okay. And he says, no, I want to see him. And until then, he insisted, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink until I myself see the Prophet ﷺ in the books of Fadail, the Shaykh Rahmatullah has mentioned these stories. And it was only then that he ate and he drank. Many other incidents have been narrated about Sayyidina Abu Bakr and the persecution that he faced. Let's move on. Sayyidina Uthman ibn Affan again was from amongst. Now, this is interesting. The first person from Banu Umayyah to accept Islam is Uthman ibn Affan. What have I told you about Banu Umayyah? They were the enemies. The whole enmity of the Mushrikeen against the Banu Hashim and against the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mainly was from the Banu Umayyah. They are the ones who caused the most trouble to the Muslims and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now look at this. From Banu Umayyah, the first person to accept Islam is Uthman ibn Affan. Now, Uthman ibn Affan isn't some ordinary person. None of the Sahaba were ordinary, but you had different ranks amongst them. But Uthman ibn Affan had a very unique position. The Prophet ﷺ really respected him. He really honored him. He elevated him. So much so that eventually he gave two of his daughters in marriage to him. There has been no man in the whole of history 
who enjoys this privilege of having the two daughters of a prophet in their marriage. So Uthman ibn Affan, look at the Prophet strategy. And where after seeing Uthman ibn Affan having this kind of position, it actually opened the minds of many people from Banu Umayyah to accept Islam as well. So the Prophet was very strategic in the way he did things. He wasn't just ad hoc and just, you know, not running on autopilot. Just he, he did things in a, in, a, in a very particular way. Um, we can see he was very diplomatic. The Prophet in the way he worked. So Uthman ibn Affan, when he accepted Islam in the early days, his uncle found out. So he became very angry with him. His uncle got this rope made of um, palm leaves and he tied it up, tied him up. Uh, and sorry, not, 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 a, not a rope, a mat. You know, you get the, the mats. So there's a mat made of straw, um, not straw, palm leaves. And he put him in there and he rolled him up in there. And what he would do, he would set alight the bottom of the mat. Right, so it starts burning. Right, and then it's coming up towards his feet. So, and, and, and then all the smoke is there and, and he's suffocating and he's saying, look, leave Islam. And Uthman ibn Affan said, you can do whatever you want. I'm not going to leave Islam. And he tried, um, he repeated this often. Each time he would wrap, wrap him up in this mat and alight it from the bottom. But it did not change the resolve of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. The Prophet welcomed Uthman ibn Affan. This was the great thing. Despite the enmity, the hatred, the jealousy, all the, 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 the sly kind of uh, activities that the Banu Umayyah would carry out against the Banu Hashim, despite all of that, the Prophet accepted Uthman with open arms, gave him so much warmth, respected him, honored him, and, and, and that really proved to be beneficial. Then we speak about Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu anhu. Bilal radiallahu anhu is someone that is discussed um, you know, quite often when it comes to speaking about the torment and the sacrifices and the persecution. And I'll explain to you in a moment why. So the Mushrikeen of Makkah, they lacked humanity. They did not have empathy. They did not have sympathy. They lacked humanity. Um, this is why sometimes as a deterrent, just to put off other people accepting Islam, they would beat somebody senseless. Like even if there was no reason to, they would do it and just so that the blood would start flowing and other people would get scared and frightened. Oh, we don't. Look, they go, look, do, do you want this to happen to you? So they would do this just to create fear in the hearts of other people. They did not have any humanity in them. They couldn't care less. If somebody was losing their life, somebody lost a limb, somebody um, you know, was, was starving, it didn't make any impact. They just wanted to instill fear in the hearts of other people so that people do not accept Islam. That was the main thing. No Islam. Anything else but not Islam. And this would be done, number one, to instill fear. Number two, the reason why they would senselessly beat these people is to cool their own anger. Because they were so angry that they, they why are you, why are Muslims saying La ilaha illallah? Why are you cursing our idols? Why are you saying that our forefathers were deviated? So to cool this anger and take revenge, they would beat 
they carry on beating until they, they felt, oh, I feel better now. Okay, I feel that I've, I've taken revenge. Um, so this is an, so they would carry on beating until inside they got this satisfaction. It's quite sadistic, really, but they get this satisfaction out of beating someone um, just to take out and vent this frustration. And remember, the more Islam spread, the more hatred for Islam they had. So it wasn't as if you know they would beat people. He wasn't going to go anywhere. It was just Islam was spreading more and more. Their hatred was increasing. The greatest revenge they carried out was against Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu anhu. Why? He didn't have a tribe. He didn't have a family. There was no one to support him. Now other people, even though, you know, they persecuted them, but then there was always someone there that they were related to. They had some kind of companionship with. They had family, they had tribe. It was linked to trade routes and all these kind of things were there. Bilal was an outsider, number one. Number two, he was a slave. Number three, they looked down on people of color. So all of these things put together, they just thought, you know what, let's take it all out on this guy. Whereas Sayyidina Bilal he was a very simple person in that sense. He was still a slave. He was still a slave. He wasn't even the slave of the Prophet or Abu Bakr. He was a slave of one of the Mushrikeen at that time. The Mushrikeen owned him. Right? So he, it wasn't as if he was going around and preaching or anything. They just found out that he has accepted Islam and he believes in Allah in his heart. That's all it was. But they were so like determined to try and extract that Iman from his heart. But the Iman had gone into his veins, into his vessels, into his muscles, into his skin. It was just so entrenched into him that no matter how much they beat him, all he repeated was Ahadun Ahad. Ahadun Ahad. Now he could have said something else. He could have said, I don't know, he could have said, um, I am a Muslim. Right? He could have said, I believe in Allah. He could have said, I don't want to believe in the idols. He could have said, uh, I believe in the religion of Muhammad. But instead, look at Bilal radiallahu anhu. He chose that he knew he was already being beaten. The way he got beaten, hardly anyone else. Other people did get beaten, but that was very, very severe. But despite that, he intentionally chooses the words that would enrage them even more. What, what was their problem? Their problem was this one. How can you have one God? It's not one God. We've got 360 idols. This is what was their pain. This was the greatest problem they had. And Bilal radiallahu anhu, he's getting beaten, right? And he's giving it to them in their face. What is he saying? Ahadun ahad. They're saying, no, leave Islam. He'd say, ahadun ahad. And they'd beat him more and more. So much so that they would get tired. They would get tired beating him. So then, like, it's your turn now. Somebody else would come. They'd grab the whip and they'd start whipping him and lashing him. He'd get tired. Somebody else would come. But Bilal would continue saying, Ahadun, Ahad, he did not break. They tried everything within their means to make him renounce Islam. Umayyah bin Khalaf, what he would do during the heat, they would drag him onto the rocks. Now the rocks are already scorching hot because the sun is at its intense peak. Rocks are scorching hot. So they would lie him down on these hot boiling rocks. And they'd get this massive boulder, a huge rock, and they'd place it on his chest. 
so that he couldn't move. So he would be squashed down. The earth is really hot. And they would say to him, look, either renounce Islam or swelter and die. You leave Islam. Otherwise, you leave Islam, we'll remove the rock and you can come back. Otherwise, you're going to swelter, you're going to die in this heat, being crushed under this rock, you're going to die. And if you want to be free, believe in Lat and Uzza. Say, I believe in Lat and Uzza and reject the faith of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sayyiduna Bilal radiallahu ta'ala would say, Ahadun Ahad. You know, this is not just a story. This is how you and me are here today. Right? This is what they had to do in order for you and me to have Islam the way we have it today. And we owe it to them. We're indebted to them. And we must, you know, think about these Sahaba radiallahu anhu. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have Islam today. The family of Yasir, this was another family that was tortured. Many Sahaba faced persecution, but some of the ones I'm mentioning now, this was really severe. So from amongst the early Muslims, you had a man called Yasir, anhu. his wife, her name was Sumayya, and they had a son called Ammar, Ammar ibn Yasir. This is a very noble family, very close to the Prophet Ammar says, that I, went, I wanted to accept Islam. So when I went to Darul Arqam on the door, there was another man there. He was, he was a Roman, Suhaib bin Sinan, a Rumi. So a foreigner, he traveled, okay, and he wanted to accept Islam as well. So we met at the door. He goes to me, what are you doing here? I go to him, what are you doing here? So remember, Islam was secret in those days. I've, I've shared this story already with you. And then they accepted Islam. They said, we, we, we accepted Islam together on that day. So Suhaib bin Sinan al-Rumi and Ammar ibn Yasir. One day the Prophet was passing by a valley called Batha. And he saw Yasir, Sumayya and Ammar. He saw this family and they were being tortured by the Mushrikeen. The Mushrikeen were beating them, slapping them, throwing them around, uh, persecuting them. And the Prophet ﷺ, he passed by. He was unable to do anything at that time. The Muslims didn't have the strength to stand up to the Muslim. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Sabran ala Yasir, Jannah. Patience, O family of Yasir, your promise is paradise. Jannah is, is written for you, guaranteed for you. Jannah has already been written for you. The trouble that you're going through now. I'm telling you now, you're going to go straight to Jannah. Just bear it patiently. We are in a situation at the moment. There's nothing we can do. Your promise is Jannah. On one occasion, the Prophet was holding the hand of Uthman ibn Affan anhu, and Yasir actually asked the Prophet a question. Yasir. So Yasir is a husband of Sumayya and their son is Ammar. So Yasir, he asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, O Prophet of Allah, are things always going to be this hard? Is it always going to be a struggle like this is tough, this is hard. We're being beaten senselessly just for being a Muslim. Is it always going to be like this? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, Allahumma li ali Yasir waqad fa'alta isbir. He said, Yasir, be patient. 
And then he made the dua. He saw the difficulty that they were in. And he said, Oh Allah, forgive the sins of the family of Yasir. He said, Oh Allah, I know you've done it already. Oh Allah, I know you've already, Jannah is already written for them. I know. Abu Jahl came to Sumayyah. This is a woman now. Sumayyah, the wife of Yasir. One of the early Muslims, Sumayyah radiallahu anha, Abu Jahl came to her and said that the only reason you accepted Islam is because you fell in love with Muhammad. You fancy him. That's the only reason why you, there's no, you don't believe in Islam. You don't believe in all this, what he's saying. You fell in love with him. And that's the only reason why you accepted Islam. Now, if somebody says something like that to you, okay, nasty comment, she swore back at him. She swore at him. She literally swore at Abu Jahl, called him whatever she called him. He couldn't take it. He became so angry that he took a spear and he threw it right into her private area. And she became the first Shaheed in Islam. The first woman and the first Shaheed. This is the first martyr in Islam. At the hand of Abu Jahl, the wretched individual who is known as the Fir'aun of this Ummah. Literally, uh, these people were, they didn't have any humanity. He threw the spear and he went right through into her private area and came out the other side and she gave her life for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then a few days afterwards, her husband Yasir also succumbed to his wounds and injuries that he had and he also passed away. Um, on one of the occasions, we find uh, that Ammar, their son, he was being tortured by the Mushrikeen. And they were torturing him by uh, branding him. You know branding? With iron? Yeah? When you, 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 get, some, you get metal, you, you, you heat it up, and then you, you burn somebody. So he was being branded. Just think of an iron today, right? <laughs> think of today, today's iron. If you've got an iron, right, and you just put it on somebody and leave it on them, right that's torture so he was this is what they were doing they were heating up this iron that they had and they were branding him with this and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam passed by and he happened to see it and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam went up to him he placed his blessed hand on him and he said ya nar kuni bardan wa salaman ala ammar kama kunti ala ibrahim tabaqat ibn sa'd the Prophet said, Oh fire, become cool on Ammar, just like you became cool on Ibrahim salam, And that's when he got some comfort. So these, this is when his parents passed away. So he, Ammar, his parents, you saw his mother has become a shaheeda, the first shaheed. And Ammar's father, Yasir, also passed away. Now he's alone. And the mushrikeen continued. They persisted in uh, continuously persecuting him because he has no family, he has no mother, he has no father to turn to. And he was lose, lose his consciousness as well. Once the mushrikeen said that Ammar, we're going to continue torturing you. And if you want to be free from the torture, then you must curse Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Believe in Lat al-Uzza to be better uh, than your own God. So he said, okay. You want me to say Latan Uzza is, is, is my God? Okay, I say Latan Uzza is my God. They released him. They released him. He, he, the torture was so severe. He, he said, fine, I'll say it. You want me to, is that what you want me to say? I'll say it. So he said it. And then he came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was really excited. And he says, how did you succeed? Like you've succeeded. You managed to 
um, you know, get away from them. You've managed to release yourself. And he said, I didn't succeed. I failed. He was really upset, very down. So what do you mean you failed? Like you're here. That's huge. You managed to release yourself from their shackles. He says, oh, Prophet of Allah, I ended up saying Lat and Uzza are better as gods. I believe in Lat and Uzza. The Prophet said, Ammar, what was the condition of your heart? When you said this, what was the condition of your heart? Oh, Prophet of Allah, my heart was brimming with Iman. The love for Allah was brimming in my heart. And my heart in Iman was as strong as iron. The Prophet said, Ammar, don't worry, there's no blame on you. No sin upon you. Allah will not take you to task. And if they ever repeat their persecution and torture, and the torture becomes unbearable, I give you permission to say those words. You can say Lat and Uzza are better, as long as in your heart you have Iman. And Allah revealed the verses of the Quran. Man kafara billah ba'da imanihi illa man ukriha wa qalbuhu mutma'innum bil iman. This is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those people who disbelieve, after Iman comes to them, except those who are forced. They are forced. And their hearts are brimming and content with Imam. Another Sahabi who went through a lot of difficulties is Mus'ab bin Umair radiallahu anhu. He was known as the most pampered youth of Makkatul Mukarrama. He lived a life of luxury, ultimate luxury. And he never faced any problem in his life. His mom, right, was very, very wealthy. She made it her mission to just spoil him. He had everything. You think of it, he had it. She, this was her, her life was just pampering this boy. That's all she wanted to do. His perfume, his clothing and his shoes. Three things he was known for. Like the shoes that he wore, nobody wore. The perfume that he wore, nobody wore. And the clothing, his mother was crazy about him. She'd just buy clothes and expensive luxury. And he lived and every morning she would prepare this royal breakfast for him. Like she just pampered him and really spoiled him. When he accepted Islam and his mother found out, she threw him out of the house. Now this is somebody who's mad about their child, right? And she done everything for him. But the hatred for Islam was such that despite all of this pampering, she threw him out of the house. And she said, you know what? We're going to cut you off. No more clothing, no more money, no more perfume. Now imagine thinking, that if I do this, he's going to come back. He's going to leave Islam. Not, also, not only that, remember, they had a very good relationship, right? For her to do that, obviously Mus'ab bin Umar loves his mom as well. So she threatened him by saying that, look, until you don't return to our old religion, I'm not going to eat or drink anything. I will not eat. I will, I'm going to go on. She went, literally went on a hunger strike. The mother of Mus'ab bin Umair to force him to leave Islam went on a hunger strike and she would not only, she said, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink. I'm never going to, she made a promise. I'm never going to stand in the shade. I'm never going to stay in the shade. So what she would do in the middle of the day, she would go and stand outside. And she's all like sweating and crying and, and getting really, really weak and everything. And people are telling like coming and no, no, my son, until my son doesn't come back, I'm not eating, I'm not drinking, I'm never going to stand in the shade. I made, a, I made a promise. I'm not going to move from it. And until, you know, 
uh, a day went by, two days went by, three, and then she just lost it totally. She fell unconscious, she became very weak, became very, very ill. And Mus'ab bin Umair, radiallahu uh, anhu, came and told her that, look, you know, this is not going to work. The tribe imprisoned him as well and thought that, you know, if we imprison him and he finds out the condition of his mother, um, maybe that will do something and change his heart. But no, he said, none of these things matter to me. I'm not interested in the clothing or the perfume or the money or the shoes. That was there in its place. What matters to me is Islam. If you accept me with that, fine. Otherwise, no, nothing at all. And Saad ibn Abi Waqqas says that I saw Mus'ab bin Umair and the condition of his skin, um, you know, when a, when a snake sheds the skin. So he says that I, his skin looked like that because he'd been tortured so much. His skin had peeled from all throughout his body because of the severe beatings that he'd had. It's, his skin was peeling everywhere. Um, and this is related by Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Another Sahabi who went through a lot of trouble was Khabbab ibn al-Arat. Khabbab ibn al-Arat. His mistress, um, oh, sorry, not mistress, um, female master, what do you call a female master? She was, she owned him. He was the slave of a woman, keep it simple. So her name is Um Anmar Khuzaiya. Um Anmar Khuzaiya. This is the woman. She took a piece of metal, she would heat it up, and she would brandish, she would put it on his head. And she'd do it again. She'd keep doing this, okay, onto his head. So, and then he made a huge mark over here as well. And the Prophet, when he found out, he actually made a special dua for him and said, Allahumma mansur khabbaban. He would pray, Oh Allah, please help khabbab. Oh Allah, please help khabbab. Um, following which she, so this dua of the Prophet worked wonders. Few days later, this woman, Um Anmar Khuzaiya, she suffered a migraine. And it was really bad. She had this headache. So she went to the doctors. And they said the treatment for this is through branding. In the olden days, you might have heard, this used to be used as a uh, ilaj, as a treatment, right? So they said the, the way to fix this kind of, the, the kind of headache that you are having, you need to be branded, okay? So she would now come home to her slave, who is Khabbab ibn Arat, and say, please take the iron, put it in the fire, and, and he would then put it onto her head. And this was a dua of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This was mentioned in Ustul Ghaba, bi Ma'rifat al-Sahaba. The Mushrikeen persecuted him, and they, uh, you know, they not only physically but financially as well. And they would pull him, they would strangle, they would pull his, grab his hair and drag him. They would strangle him. And he would be made to land in the hot suns as well. And they put a big chest, uh, a boulder on his chest. It's a common thing that they did with a lot of the Sahaba, that they would make them lie in the hot suns or the hot stones. And then they would put this huge rock on their chest, uh, unable to move. And they would just leave them there. Umar radiallahu ta'ala once asked Khabbab regarding his torture later on. So Umar radiallahu accept Islam later on. Umar radiallahu said, Khabbab, tell me. 
how did they used to torture you? And Khabbab radiallahu lifted his clothing. He said, I don't need to tell you anything. Look. And Umar radiallahu said, I have never seen anyone's back so badly beaten than that of Khabbab. The way I saw the back of Khabbab radiallahu anhu, and then he explained what they would do. He said, they would ignite a fire or charcoal, right? They'd light the charcoal. And then they would throw me onto it. And I would be lying on there. And then one of the wretched people would come and they would stand on my chest and they would walk on me. And he says, the, 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 the fat that would come out from my body, my flesh, that is what would put out the charcoal. So just imagine how that would have been and being done persistently, regularly. He himself worked as a blacksmith in Makkah al-Mukarramah. One day he made a sword for As ibn Wa'il. As ibn Wa'il, one of the other mushrikeen, leaders of the mushrikeen. Um, so he made a sword for him. He wanted to get a sword made. So he's a blacksmith. He makes a sword for him. As ibn Wa'il doesn't pay him. So Khabbab ibn al-Arat, he goes to the house of As ibn Wa'il. He says, I want my money. You've not paid me. I've come to ask for my money. So Asim Nawail says, doesn't your prophet speak about Jannah? He says, yeah, of course he does. He goes, doesn't he say that in Jannah you can have as much gold, as much silver, uh, and um, whatever clothing that you want, you can have slaves in Jannah? He says, yeah, of course, that's what our prophet tells us. He goes, fine, give me respite till the day of judgment, I'll pay you there. There, because I'm going to be great, he says, I'm going to be greater than your prophet. Your prophet's going to be down there, I'm going to be up here, and Allah is going to give me, he's being sarcastic, taking the make. Because he's going to give me all the gold, all the silver, clothing. I'll pay you back over there. He was a wealthy person, he could have given him. But he was just being awkward over here. And my status will be higher than your prophet on the day of judgment. He didn't even believe in the day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses of the Quran. regarding this person have you seen this person who rejects my verses and my signs and he says on the day of judgment Allah is going to give me lots of wealth and he's going to give me lots of children did he have some secret information? Who? Allah saying, who told you? Who Did you get some news from the heavens? Who told you? Or have you got a secret arrangement with Allah? Did Allah tell you this? Allah saying, you're saying that Allah's, Allah saying, did Allah tell you this? Have you got some secret arrangement? Because Allah doesn't know about it. So where did you get this information from? Allah says, no, 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 never. Allah says, we have noted what he has said. We are writing down what he is saying. And tomorrow on the day of judgment, this is going to be transformed into a huge punishment. And he's going to come to us all alone. He won't have any children, no support, no gang, no family. Forget being better, he'll be the worst. And he'll stand in front of us alone and he'll have to, have to give account. When the Muslims persecuted Khabbab ibn Arat to the maximum, he couldn't bear it anymore. Khabbab radiallahu who came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is in Sahih al-Bukhari. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was wrapped around in a blanket. He was by in the shade of the Kaaba. He was resting in the shade of the Kaaba. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is sleeping. 
in the shade of the Kaaba. He's wrapped in a blanket. He's in Bukhari. Khabbab ibn Arad comes to the Prophet ﷺ. He couldn't take it anymore. He was being beaten so badly that he came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Oh Prophet of Allah, are you not going to seek Allah's help for us? Oh Prophet of Allah, are you not going to pray for us? Oh Prophet of Allah, are you not going to ask Allah to change the situation? The Prophet ﷺ, he was resting. He sat up. His face became red. And the Prophet ﷺ said, he said, Khabbab, listen very carefully. In the people that came before you, sometimes what they would do to the Muslims, they would dig a hole and they would throw this person inside. And then they would bring a saw or an axe and they would put it in the middle of this person's head and they would slice this person in half. They would cut his head open. And the, the hadith, the Prophet even that would not turn that person away from Islam. Even though they know they're going to get cut in half, they wouldn't turn away from Islam. See, sometimes they would get iron combs. You know, you get a comb. So imagine an iron comb. So they would get these iron combs. Okay, it's got all these very sharp edges. And then they would take it from one top of the body and they would start going all the way into the flesh and they would go all the way down in the whole body, ripping the skin and the flesh all the way. And the hadith is saying, even then they would not utter a word of kufr. They would not say anything. They would still bear it patiently and then he said the prophet says wallahi look what condition they were in being persecuted he says wallahi khabbab listen very carefully Allah is going to make this religion of Islam prosperous and prevalent. It's going to spread so far and wide that a rider will ride from Sana'a in Yemen all the way to Hadramaut. Right? They will make this journey and they will not fear anybody. There'll be no persecution, no one attacking them. They will be able to go freely, even so much so that a person will not fear the wolf attacking his own flock of sheep. But the problem with you guys, he says, you're rushing too much. You want everything now. You want the help of Allah right now. He says, not now. It will come. It will come, but not right now. Now, you need to be patient. This is what he said to him. Whereas you've seen the persecution that they were going through, and this is how the Prophet ﷺ told him. And uh, in the hadith of Tirmidhi, it says, مَا أَعْلَمُ أَحَدًا مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَقِيَ مِنَ الْبَلَاءِ مَا لَقِيتُ Khabbab ibn al-Arat radiyallahu says himself, Hadith of Tirmidhi, مَا أَعْلَمُ أَحَدًا مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَقِيَ مِنَ الْبَلَاءِ مَا لَقِيتُ I do not know anyone from amongst the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who has suffered so much torture that I have. I don't know. Other people, yes, it did happen. But the torture that I went through, 
I don't know anybody from amongst all of the companions. So Khabbab ibn al-Arat, you saw, you heard how the, the fat from his body would come out and sizzle onto the coals and even put it up, extinguish it, right? And, and cool down the coals. Just imagine that, right? You put water on it today and, and it's still boiling hot. Imagine how it must have been. And Umar radiallahu seeing his back said, I've never seen anyone with a back like this. Another Sahabi who was tortured was Suhaib bin Sinan al-Rumi. Suhaib bin Sinan al-Rumi, he would be beaten until he would pass out. They would make him the target of torture because again, he didn't have any family, no tribe. Um, he was an outsider. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses regarding him as a thummar. Inna rabbaka lillazhi nahajaru min ba'di ma futinu, thumma jahadu wa sabaru, inna rabbaka min ba'diha laghafurur rahim. Urwa bin Zubair, he says that Suhaib bin Sinan was amongst those people that were tortured to the extreme by the people of Makkah. Urwa bin Zubair is saying Suhaib bin Sinan is amongst those people because I know, I'm telling you, he is from amongst those people that were tortured to the extreme. Another person who was tortured was called Amir bin Fuhaira. Who was Amir bin Fuhaira? Radiallahu anhu. He was the slave of a man called Tufail bin Harith. Now, Amir bin Fuhaira is a slave, very soft, very gentle, very weak person. He's not a strong man. Okay, Bilal was strong. Okay, he was doing hard work. This man, Amir bin Fuhaira, was very, very weak. But despite that, they would torture him. Abu Bakr radiallahu felt so sorry for him that when he walked past, he said, Stop what you're doing. Let me buy him. He actually bought him. And he set him free. He said, I want to buy him. Whatever money, whatever you tell me the price, I'll buy him. So he would buy him and then he set him free. And what's interesting is Sayyiduna Abu Bakr anhu didn't just do that with him. He did that with Bilal anhu, with uh, Amir bin Fuhaira and uh, others as well. And this was before the Quranic verses were revealed regarding the freeing of slaves. You know, Quran speaks about freeing the slave, freeing the slave. You get this? This is before all of that. Abu Bakr already had this vision that he would, to save their life, he thought, I've got wealth, right? Let me buy them, whatever price they say, and he would set them free. Zubair bin Awam accepted Islam at the tender age of eight. And he was tortured by his own uncle as well. And he would hang him upside down. And he would ignite a fire at the bottom. So he's hanging, he'd hung him. Beneath him, he would light this fire. And the smoke would basically, he wanted to suffocate him with the smoke. The smoke would come into his face. He can't go anywhere. He's hanging upside down. And he would say, renounce Islam. He's still young. He only accepted Islam at the age of eight. But he didn't move. He remained firm. And Zubair ibn Awam, we know he's from the Ashra Mubashara. Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, radiallahu anhu, accepted Islam at the age of 17. One of the Ashram Mubashara as well. His mother threatened him as well of going on a hunger strike. She said that I will not eat anything, I will not drink anything until you don't leave Islam. And she would force him. Now, okay, so he tells his own story. He relates his Me and my mother had a very good relationship prior to Islam. And I tr treated my mother really, really well. When I accepted Islam, she threatened me by saying people are going to taunt you saying that you cause your own mother's death because I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to imagine if you've got a really good connection with somebody, this very painful to hear. 
So she was kind of manipulating him, right? Emotional blackmail, right? M many ladies do this, right? Sometimes mothers as well. Like, oh, I'm all ill today, I'm all ill, right? And nothing's happened, but because they don't want something, someone to do something. Maybe they don't agree with the girl that you want to marry or something, right? Oh, oh, look what's happening to me. I'm getting all these things. Look, all these spots are appearing on my, on my head and my forehead. And look, that thing's come back now. I didn't have it. My heart beats gone fast and everything. Just to play on the, it's like emotional blackmail, playing on the mind. And especially if you, if you honor your mother, if you have respect for her, and you kind of think, hang on a second, yeah, really? She's playing this funny game. Anyhow, so this is what she did. She, uh, because they had such a close relationship, she said, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm not going to drink. And guess what? People are going to, this is what they use. Well, what are people going to say? People are going to go around saying, you cause your mother's death. You are a very bad person, a very disobedient child. And you didn't look after me. And you didn't care for me. And he goes, okay, fine. I mean, if that's the case. And then she didn't eat for one day. A whole day and a whole night went by. And she didn't eat a thing. So now think about it. If you don't eat for one, one whole 24 hours, does it impact you? It does. Yeah. If, if, you're, if you're normally eating every day, two meals, three meals, and if you don't eat for a whole day, so she became a, bit, a little bit weak. Well, not, not too much, but she became a bit weak. You know, 24 hours have gone by. Um, she's not eating a thing. And then she went on to like doing it for three days. And she became very weak. She's like passing out. And she carried on doing it until she became bed bound. Now, now the situation has come where it's become quite serious. And she, he comes to her and she says, look, just believe in Lat and Uzza. Believe in Lat and Uzza. Come back to the uh, old religion. Leave Islam. Listen to what I'm saying. If you love me, doesn't your prophet, doesn't your prophet tell you that you should obey your mother? This is what she said. Listen to what I'm saying. Obey me. Listen to what I'm saying. You must believe in Lat and Uzza. Don't do this to me. And he didn't. And she became very, very ill. Until Saad ibn Abi Waqqas anhu thought, you know what? I have to tell her something in a way where, like, no matter what she says, I'm not, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna listen to her. So he said, Mother, even if I had one hundred lives. Right? Even if I had a hundred lives, sorry, even if you had a hundred lives, sorry, if you had a hundred lives, right, and you lost all of them, even then I will not believe in Lat and Uzza. This is when her mother, his mother, then, the first time then, he ate and she drank something because she, um, she realized that uh, he's not gonna. He's quite serious. Like, who would say that? She, she probably didn't expect that. So he came out with it. Even if you had a hundred lives, I, I respect you. I honor you as a mother. But you're asking me to do something which is called shirk. Now, let's put everything into context. This is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verses of the Quran. We told the human being, be kind to your mother. Allah 
Quran says, if your parents force you to commit shirk, don't listen to them, don't obey them. But deal with them in a nice, be kind to them. They're your parents. But if they're telling you to commit shirk, this verse was revealed here on this occasion of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu. Sahaba were great people. Allah revealed Quran regarding them. How amazing were these Sahaba? And then you've got people cursing the Sahaba, speaking ill about them. They've lost their minds. These Sahaba, Allah, Quran is like, how amazing must they have been? That they did these things and Allah revealed verses which you and I read with so much joy and pride thinking, wow, you know, these verses, these are the commands of Allah. But they actually came down praising these people and the practices that they carried out. Another Sahabi is Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. I'm not going to go into detail about him because we've already discussed him twice. Once in Jummah and once in these um, sessions as well. You know the story of Ar-Rahman, Allam al-Quran. He went and recited it. The first person to actually go and recite Quran by the Kaaba. So we won't go into that. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu. Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu. Um, his real name is Jundub bin Junada. Jundub bin Junada. He's known as Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu. He was a person that even in Jahiliyyah, he hated paganism. Although he wasn't a Muslim yet, but he just did not agree with the idea of worshipping an idol. He believed in one God, didn't know how, but that was his belief. And he accepted Islam. The Prophet ﷺ told him, look, it's not safe for you to stay here. Go back to your people. He was from the tribe of Ghifar. Go back to your people. Start working in your tribe. Slowly, slowly speak to people. Try and teach them about Islam. And once Muslims become strong in Makkah, then whoever accepts Islam with you, you return back. When he came to, when he, uh, he went out, Uh, he, so he spoke to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he thought, okay, I'm going to go back to my tribe. So he comes out of the house. What does he do? Instead of going back to the Ghifar tribe quietly, secretly, he goes out into the haram and he announces, Ashhadu ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah This is what he does. Now he's from outside. He's not from here. So immediately what happens, the Quraysh started beating him up. Until Abbas radiallahu came and he covered him. He says, what are you guys doing? Do you know who this is? He's from the Ghifar tribe. You guys, next time when you go for your trade journey towards Syria and Sham, you're going to have problems. This Ghifar tribe, they manage the roots. If you want your trade journey to be successful, leave him alone. Otherwise, we're going to be in trouble. So Abbas radiallahu covers him, said, you're going to have problems. The next day, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari comes out of the house, goes into the haram. Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad rasulullah in Sahih al-Bukhari. And the same thing happens. And Abbas comes and protects him and says, Look, don't mess with him. You're going to have trouble in your trade. We're going to suffer economically. You can't let this person go back and report that we've beaten him. Let him go. Another person, Sahabi radiallahu anhu, is Khalid bin Sa'id. Khalid bin Sa'id, his father held a very high position in Makkah and he was uh, a great enemy of Islam. When he found out that his son Khalid bin Sa'id accepted Islam, 
he sent one of his other sons to go and find him. Go and find where he is. Bring him to me right now. And he, when he arrived, he started swearing at him. He started beating him with a stick and he kicked him out of the house. No food for you, no drink for you. And he, we're going to deprive you of everything. And he told the people of Mecca to boycott him. Don't give him anything to eat. Don't let him stay at your house. And uh, his father uh, later on became ill. And he promised that if I recover, the father of Khalid bin Saeed, he made a promise that if I recover from this illness, I will not allow anyone to worship on the religion of Islam in Mecca. He made a very big promise. He said, no one will be allowed to make any kind of Islamic worship in Makkatul Mukarramah. Khalid is making dua for his dad. Oh Allah, please don't make him recover. Oh Allah, please don't make him recover. You find everyone making dua the other way. So this is one occasion we find Musaddraq Hakim is the reference. He's making dua that, oh Allah, I don't want my father to recover. And his father did not recover and he died. Another Sahabi who was tortured was Uthman bin Badrun. He spoke about him when he spoke about the people who accepted Islam in the early days. Umayyah bin Khalaf began torturing Uthman bin Madhun. His tribe also opposed him and gave him a hard time. And so extreme was the torture that he had to leave. He had to leave Makkatul Mukarramah. And he went to Habasha, Abyssinia. Um, and next session, inshallah, next week, we're going to speak about the first migration to Abyssinia. Because when this torture became so much, they couldn't bury anymore. You can't just stay there. You just get beaten, beaten, beaten all the time. So that's when a small group of Muslims, not everybody, small group of Muslims, they thought, hang on, there's a country away from here, although it's over the sea, but there's a Christian king and he's very nice. He's compassionate, kind. We'll go and stay there. So we'll be speaking about that next session. But before we get to that, let's finish off today's session. So Uthman ibn Mas'un, anhu, when he came, he came back, because there was a rumor, and in the rumor it said that um, things in Mecca are fine. The people of Mecca, the Mushrikeen are okay now with the Muslims, which wasn't true. When they came back, they found out that the enmity had increased and they were torturing the Muslims much before. Now you couldn't enter into Mecca alone. If you've gone out of Mecca, you can't just walk back into Mecca. You have to come in under someone's protection. So, Uthman bin Mad'un, he thought, what shall I do? So he went to Walid bin Mughira. Walid bin Mughira, big boss, okay, of Mecca. Walid bin Mughira actually allowed uh, uh, Walid bin Mughira gave um, him protection. So that's fine. You can come into Mecca under my protection. I will protect you. No one. And he came, actually, he had, not only did he do that, he came into the haram, he made an announcement that Uthman bin Mad'un has entered into Mecca through my protection, nobody lay a hand on him. And that was it. Uthman bin Mad'un says, I would walk through the streets of Mecca and I would see my Muslim brothers, my Muslim sisters being tortured. Somebody's being whipped. Somebody's being made to lie on the coal. Somebody is being waterboarded. Somebody is being starved. Somebody is being whipped. I'm seeing this right and I'm thinking I'm like living in comfort. I'm living in luxury. No one's touching me. I'm like cool guy going here and there. I, I'm okay. No one says anything to me because something didn't sit right. I thought, how can I 
live freely when my brothers and sisters are going through so much trouble, so much difficulty, so much torture. I'm living comfortably under the, under the protection of a mushrik. Uh, what kind of protection? I don't need his protection. I, I want, uh, Allah's protection is enough for me. So with this in mind, he went to Mughira, Walid bin Mughira, and he says, thank you for your protection. Up until now, <laughs> a lot of thanks to you. Thanks, but no thanks. I no longer want your protection. Are you sure? Are you sure you don't want my protection? He says, no, I'm going to join my friends. I, he doesn't sit right with me. My friends are being persecuted while I'm walking around under your protection. Walid bin Mughira says, Same, it looks like somebody's forced you to do this, isn't it? Are you being bribed? Somebody giving you some money? He says, no. He says, fine. If that's the case, then publicly I announce protection. Publicly, I will announce the retraction of the protection. He says, fine, do so. So he takes him, goes to the haram publicly. He thinks, he thinks by doing all of this, he's going to turn away. And he says, no, no, I want to stay in your protection. So he goes along with it because Sahaba was sincere. He goes into the haram and he publicly announces that just as I gave Uthman bin Mab'un my protection, he no longer wants my protection. I am taking away the protection now. He's not in, under my protection. Anybody wants to do anything to him, he's all yours. Labid bin Rabi'ah uh, was a poet of the Quraysh. And there was a gathering taking place. Uh, so Uthman bin Mab'un goes away from this, um, you know, this protection announcement. And then he goes and sits in the gathering of poetry. So he's a poet, very famous poet. Even the Prophet Sallallahu actually spoke about his poetry. He's a non-Muslim, this Labid was a poet, very famous poet of the Arabs. And the Prophet Sallallahu actually liked one of his stanza, is that what we call it? One of his lines of poetry, he actually liked it and he quoted it as well. Although the Prophet Sallallahu was not a poet and he did not you know, entertain poetry. But this particular line, he said, you know, this has got some truth in it. And it's here. So Walid was, uh, sorry, Labid was delivering his poetry and he was saying, Allah kullu shay'in ma khalallaha batilu. He says, everything besides Allah is falsehood. Uh, so Uthman bin Mad'un was listening to this. Because yeah, you spoke the truth, you're mushrik, but that's true actually. Everything besides Allah is falsehood. And then he said the second line, And every bounty, every bounty, one day is going to end. Every bounty, every fortune, every blessing is going to end. That's a lie. Because our Prophet told us about Jannah. In Jannah, nothing with all the bounties of Jannah are going to be forever. So the first line, tick. Second line, cross. I don't agree with it. So, please, he said, please repeat it. I want you to repeat it. So, he repeated it again. That everything besides Allah is falsehood. He says, yeah, I agree. That every bounty is going to end. He says, no, I don't agree with that. Now, Labid said, what kind of behavior is this? This is a gathering of poetry. Nobody stands up and says comments like this to me. What kind of behavior is this? A man called Uthman bin Abdullah. Now from the gathering is another person called Uthman bin Abdullah bin Abu Umayyah. He stood up and he went up to Uthman bin Mab'un and slapped him in the eye so much so that his whole eye became swollen and he could hardly see with that one eye. And Walid bin Mughira came to Uthman bin Mab'un and I said, look, if you were in my protection, 
this wouldn't have happened. Look at your eye. Look how bad it is. You can't even see. It's all swollen up. And Uthman bin Mat'un said, Allah's protection and refuge is sufficient for me. My other eye is also ready as well. If anybody wants to you know, pop that out as well, I, I don't want your protection. I'm happy with the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For this cause of Islam, just like my friends have sacrificed, I am willing to give any sacrifice. Later on, Walid bin Mughira actually approached Uthman bin Mad'un saying, I can still offer you my protection if you want. Do you want my protection? Still, still offer still on the table. And Sa'd ibn Abi Waqqas radiallahu anhu, he took revenge on behalf of Uthman bin Mad'un and he went to that man called Uthman bin Abdullah who poked the eye out of Uthman bin Mad'un and he went and broke his nose. And this is one of the first kind of actions that were taken against the mushrikeen uh, in the early days of Islam. Because in the early days, Sahaba were just told to make sabr, 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 sabr. So no one was hardly like taking any revenge. They wouldn't fight back. The couple of occasions here and there where someone got angry and just went for it. So on this occasion, Salid bin Waqqas radiallahu anhu, he went up to him and he just, he, he beat him, he broke his nose. And how dare you, you know, you know, you punch the eye of my friend and he, this is what he did. Um, Abu Fukhira, radiallahu anhu, his name was Yasir, accepted Islam with Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He would be made to land on the hot sand and the stone and a boulder would be placed on him. Sahaba said that he was, his tongue would come out, out of just desperation. And people would think that he was dead. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu purchased him and set him free. So he's also from amongst them as well. There was a slave woman called Lubaina. Lubaina. She accepted Islam. She was actually tortured by Umar radiallahu anhu before he accepted Islam. So Umar radiallahu anhu accepted Islam number 40. So before he accepted Islam, he was also from amongst the mushrikeen. So there was this lady called Lubaina, a slave woman. Umar radiallahu anhu would torture her. And he would torture her, torture her, torture her, and then, then he would stop. And when he would stop, he would say to her, don't think that I've, I've finished. I'm tired. I'm going to come back in a bit. Okay, I've not finished with you. I'm going to come back. And don't think I feel sorry for you. I've not stopped because I feel sorry for you. I'm just tired. I'm going to carry on. And she would respond by saying, if you don't accept Islam, then Allah will take my revenge from you. This is the response she would give. If you don't accept Islam, like if you accept Islam later on, you know what? I actually don't mind. I'll, I don't mind going through this if you accept Islam later on. But if you don't end up accepting Islam, Allah is going to take revenge. And Hassan ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu, he says, the poet of the Prophet he says, I came for Umrah. He's not a Muslim at this time. He goes, I came for Umrah. So at that time, people did Hajj and Umrah. I came for Umrah. And I noticed Umar radiallahu anhu, at that time he wasn't radiallahu anhu. I saw Umar, he was beating this slave girl mercilessly. Her name was Lubaina. And he was mercilessly beating her, beating her, beating her until she would fall unconscious. And when she would fall unconscious, then he would go and beat another slave woman. Who, her name was uh, Zinnira radiallahu anha. Zinnira uh, Rumiya. Zinnira Rumiya, another slave girl. He would go and beat her. So let me conclude today's session by telling you about Zinnira Rumiya radiallahu anha. She was a slave girl of the Banu Adi. And she was tortured so much 
that she lost her eyesight. Abu Jahl came and said, look, Lat al-Uzza made you blind. Because you've been swearing our idols, look what's happened. Lat al-Uzza have made you blind. She responded by saying, ha, huh, what can they do? They don't even know who's worshipping them. They don't even know who's worshipping them. This command came from above the heavens from Allah. Allah decided for me to become blind. I became blind. He is the one who will restore my eyesight. The next morning when Zinira Rumiya woke up, Allah had restored her eyesight. And the people started saying, the Quraysh started saying, this is Muhammad's sorcery. He's done some kind of magic. Otherwise, this thing can never happen. So they would see these things happening in front of them. But their hatred for Islam was such that it made them blind to accepting the truth. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the true love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the Sahaba. We cannot forget the Sahaba. Look at the sacrifices. Um, this is just the tip of the iceberg. It's impossible for us to talk about all of the incidents, but I tried to cover as much as possible to give us an idea of how difficult the challenges would have been uh, for the Sahaba and the persecution that they underwent. So next session, inshallah, we're going to speak about the migration to Abyssinia. What led to the migration and how that looked. Who went? What happened when they went there? Inshallah, we'll discuss that next Tuesday. وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين سبحان الله وبحمده سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك